He's like, I'm in religious awe right now. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Alan. We are post-evangelical ministers and theological thinkers grappling with our place in the progressive Christian world. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on faith and culture. This week, we are coming to you for the very first episode of the year with Alan, and unfortunately, Mona couldn't join us, but we have a special guest with us today. If you are a longtime listener, you will recognize our guest host today. His name is Jim Wagner, and he was on episode 14 with his husband, Richard, and they talked about being gay in the church. And today he is joining us for a conversation on generational stereotypes. Jim, welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Jeff. I'm glad to be here today. So after our conversation, we are then going to play a game or we are then going to play a round of Jesus Juke. So we thought this would be fun because Alan and I were planning on doing this conversation because we knew Mona would not be around. And we thought based on certain parameters, we have two generations represented between myself and Alan. I'm a Gen Xer and Alan is a millennial. And we figured we'd bring on, we'd bring on a baby boomer and we just, uh, we just have a conversation about generational stereotypes. So that I could say the joke, a baby boomer, a millennial, and a Gen X are walking to a bar because that sounds really funny, doesn't it? <clears throat> it's hilarious. The, the only reason we're not laughing hilarious. is because we heard it like three times before we started I know, recording. I, so. I said that before we started recording. <laughs> and apparently, uh, you fall, J- Jim, you fall on the line between baby boomer and the super secret generation. What's it called? The silent Silent generation. generation. I wonder why they call it the silent generation. Is it because people don't talk very much from that generation? or I don't know. That's not me. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not you. I think but, we're kind of but, all but on the that line, points right? Out, yeah, that, that points out something that um, that we were talking about before the air is that there's kind of a fuzzy demarcation between quote-unquote generations. I know that I'm towards you know, some of the older millennials and – I'm sure we'll flesh all this out in the episode, but I just think I've come to the opinion after thinking about this for so long and then reading up on it that maybe generational descriptors are largely unhelpful. Maybe a few of them are good, but in general, generational stereotyping is probably reductive and unhelpful, in my opinion. Where I've landed, and I'm going to throw that out there at the very get-go so that we could disagree about it. I don't know if there's much disagreement. I think it becomes increasingly more difficult to do with as fast as things change from generation to generation. We have such a changing culture and that shifts so much. I feel like we'd be better off if we spoke in terms of, I don't know, decades, like the youth of this decade. But even then, you know, we don't want to, it's it's that that borderline between like making a statement about that's a generality and a stereotype. And I know that sometimes they go hand in hand. So uh, no, I, I think I think you're right because you know, Jim's talking about how he's on that border between baby boomers and silent generation, and I'm on that border between millennials and Gen X. Some people would say I'm a millennial, others would say I'm a Gen X. So it's you know, how do you define that? I know that me personally, when they list the 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 characteristics of Gen X versus the characteristics <laughs> of millennials, I certainly fall more personally into the Gen X anti-establishment grunge kind of attitude from the nineties. Uh, but so there's this, there's this, uh, Adam Conover, uh, episode. Have you seen this on YouTube? Adam Conover does the Adam ruins everything show. 
and he basically ruins the idea of millennials. And he talks about how um, describing the general characteristics like you're naming uh, for that whole group of people is a lot less helpful than describing significant events that might have impacted an entire generation. For instance, like you look at the silent generation and they are dealing with the effects of World War II, right? They're dealing with the the fallout of that. But you could also say they all love jazz music. And like, which one's actually much more helpful in describing a generation, the fact that they listen to jazz music or the fact that they were dealing with this kind of big event. So characteristics are, are something that we could talk about in a second. But the, the fact is, is that people have been described and their generations have been described by certain characteristics for a long time, right? You look at the 70s and the 80s talking about the youth and what they're like. This whole uh, describing this next generation isn't new with millennials. It kind of goes back pretty far. As the old guy here this afternoon, um, I guess I just don't really appreciate all these labels too much. Maybe I'm just too old being in my 70s. But it just <laughs> it just seems to me that um, there's too much emphasis put on age. I have a body that's slowly getting more and more decrepit. But psychologists tell me that my brain is staying at about age 32. However, they gauge that, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so I've got friends that are in their 20s and friends that are in their 90s. But I just kind of get a little rankled when I hear this. And, you know, they'll say, well, you're, you're an older person. And so XYZ doesn't apply. Yeah, and I think to a certain extent, we've all been affected by that. Because the labels, not only that, but they, the, the labels can have a tendency to separate interaction from people like I'm I'm a firm believer, and probably if you're a regular listener to the show, you know this, but I'm a firm believer that rhetoric is important, and I think rhetoric can shape yeah. our actions. And when we categorize generations over and over again, and even within church settings where we have to like say we need purposeful generational ministry, like even the fact that we have those words bridges it doesn't even bridge that gap. It further it further widens that gap of generations within church because we make it a bigger deal than maybe it it needs to be. I, I hear, uh, Jim, you talking about having this perception of like being an old person, but in your mind, like that's not how you see yourself. And that's how, that's not how you operate, like the, the labels that people put on you. And it's interesting to hear that from like my perspective. I feel like my generation, maybe this is because I'm a, I'm a millennial and this is why I'm saying this, but I feel like we're special. I feel like we've been the most stereotyped and hated on generation to date. I know everybody else had, you know, the crazy youth of the 60s, the crazy, the the irresponsible punk band listening to Gen Xers or whatever. But it's like millennials are the the biggest punching bag in like news circuits, economists, everybody. They They tend to like really rat on millennials for being all these different things. Like it's one thing to say, oh, you know, this person's old and to like see yourself. For, for a millennial, I feel like we're not that discrimination is, you know, my discrimination is different than yours, or I don't want to pit those two against each other. What I'm trying to say is that millennials have been talked about like they are lazy, like they're enti- the most entitled generation, that you know they live with their parents, they don't want to work, and they're responsible for all these like social ills. And that's the constant portrayal that's, that's shown co- all the time and talked about and put on the cover of Time magazine in 2013, I think. And it's like the me, me, me generation, right? Taking selfies and all that kind of stuff. And to be honest, like so many millennials resent that. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that are like, oh, I'm not a millennial. 
oh, I don't think that way. Or they'll laugh and say, yeah, I guess that we're all like that, but I'm not like that, you know, and then try to distance themselves from it. That gets repeated by churches as much as anybody else. And I think that's where there's a certain level of um, abandonment that I guess I feel when I see churches do these like funny, this is where the conversation started was seeing those music videos of people. There's this one guy who's singing about millennials. Jeff, do you know the title of it where he puts his hat backwards? I Have don't you guys seen this, but I know we'll put it in the show notes. It's the same guy yeah. who's separated out into four different screens. Some church put it out where he's saying a millennial song to yeah. some tune that's familiar. But you know, isn't that a way of society, at least in my mind, uh, scapegoating the situation by blaming the the economic and society ills on a particular generation? Um, yeah, you know, millennials are lazy and they live at home. Um, I know millennials that live at home, and it's because the economy is such they can't afford to live anywhere else. I think that this kind of scapegoating is done consciously or unconsciously as a way to not have to face the situations that really, really need some hard work uh, across the board, across all of the country. And so rather than really dig in and people all have to carry a load that's going to hurt, we find somebody to blame. Scapegoating is such a great word for what we do. Yeah. And ironically in that one, scenario it wasn't the millennials who caused the economic crash right we weren't buying houses when the bubble popped or whatever and when everything like turned out the way that it did we were super young so we're not we didn't cause that but we inherited it um i hear all the time people talk about you know millennials having to have these special jobs on the side and working from a coffee shop or trying to be really creative in their in their jobs you know i really wish people would have seen what it would be like to graduate in 2008 from college 2006 i look online there's like hundreds of youth pastor jobs in california the year i graduated there was two like the week i graduated i looked and there was like there was two youth pastor jobs in california on this job searching site that used to have so many and that's like the world that we inherited scraping by and trying to put together like jobs that are outside of the traditional way of doing things is what we did to survive and so it's ironic to like be made fun of for being lazy there's something else i I heard one third of graduating seniors that are millennials work as unpaid interns they do work for free for the first like year or something of their job what generation has been asked to like work for free (laughs) coming right out with a degree Right. Like that's the the increase of unpaid internships has gone up so high. Anyway, all that to say, it's a really complex issue. And I think scapegoating is exactly what has been happening. Um, It's it's cathartic for society to be able to like look at these videos and laugh at these kids who are so entitled or whatever, or are living with their parents because to ask those harder questions is really tough and it takes a lot of introspection. Yeah. Well, I would say the same thing for, Every generation has a stereotype that has its roots in some kind of economic factor. Like, I remember growing up, I feel like one of the the key elements that seems to define for a lot of people the Gen X generation is the latchkey kid. Like, that was kind of our thing through the the late 70s, 80s, and into the 90s where you had both parents working and – you know, you have the, the image of the kid coming home with from school because they have the, the house key around their neck and they let themselves in. And, and Jim, I imagine that there's a similar – scenario in your generation as well. I can remember that. Um, in the 50s, life seemed pretty good. Of course, I was in elementary school. 
But um, then when the local military base closed and the economy tanked, and then my mother had to go out and get a job because my dad couldn't fully support us. Uh, so it's something that's gone on for a long time. I think a big contributor to it, and of course, this is just editorializing, but I think that um, one of the things is just somehow society is becoming more greedy, uh, corporate greed. They've got to have bigger dividends on the stock and so forth. I think that there is a greater and greater economic disparity in this country. We're losing the middle class. How we fix that, uh, I think that would be another one of those painful things that uh, a lot of people wouldn't want to give up the dollars that they're getting now. So I don't know if it's fixable or if we just have to wait until the economy completely collapses and start over. Um, I don't have the training to fix it. That's why we brought you on here was so that you could. I know. <laughs> super disappointed. Now. Thanks so much. <laughs> uh, so is, is there for you guys like the level of, would you call stereotyping according to generation something akin to like ageism? Describing an entire group of people through these characteristics of things like selfish, lazy, all that kind of stuff. Is that as serious uh, as ageism would be? I don't know if I've ever thought of it in those terms, but now that you say it, yeah, I mean, very much so. You know, I mentioned stereotypes from my generation. I'm more upset about the gen, the also along with you, Alan, about the generational stereotypes that are put on millennials. Every time I see one of those dumb videos, I'm like, especially the ones that are coming from churches. <laughs> Why would you stereotype an entire generation as something that's fun right. and lighthearted if you're a place that you want people to come, especially with already the 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 lack of interest in church in general in in right. the millennials? Again, we're using that as as a common term, uh, even though <laughs> I don't like it. Um, but yeah, so like, the, do you know where that term came from? Sorry to interrupt. I just I just read about it. That term came from uh, people who are are marketing experts. And so it all comes down to being able to market to a different like generation or whatever. And there was this big fight for being able to get that term out there. Like you said before, there was Generation Y. And oh, okay. So it's the marketing replacement things. for Gen Y? Yeah, it is. <laughs> They're the ones who won out in the battle for naming this next generation. I think Gen X was the first one to get brand labeling. Because you notice like everything right. in the yes. 90s, whenever they're uh, like Team Extreme, and it was always like <laughs> spelled with just the X <laughs> instead of the E. <laughs> Extreme Sports. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to derail you. And I just got really excited. I think that naming people is a really big, a really big deal. Like what, what even is a generation? Is it people who are born around the same year or have the same sorts of experiences? Thinking in terms of a church using videos or some sort of media to communicate a message about an entire group of people. Can you imagine if it was done to anyone else other than millennials? Oh, you know, all the old people in our church, we're going to come up with a video that talks about all their characteristics that we've injected into the conversation, whether they're true or not. You know, like people haven't talked to every millennial and done the qualitative data doesn't show that millennials are crazy narcissistic. If it does, it's because they're younger and they're growing up. I don't know. It just strikes me as as very offensive to the point where it's like debilitating. I don't I don't get why millennials allow people to talk about them the way that they do. I think from the church perspective, there's an easy answer. Millennials don't give. Yeah, I mean, that may be <laughs> super cynical about the church, but yeah. uh, a lot of the, at least the churches that I've been in the last couple of years, uh, the the older generation is the financial base for the church. And <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going to poke fun at right. them because <laughs> then you might be 
uh, looking at some difficulties. Hmm. Jim, what do you think about the, the the idea that ageism is a category to to call generational stereotyping? I think generational or age age either way is stereotyping. And I, I see a relationship in my head between the two. And maybe I'm a fluke in this, but I I just don't understand why it happens. I don't know why society has done this because I have friends, like I said before, of all ages. And one of one of my closest friends is 40 years younger than I am, but he is a real thinker. And somehow having conversations with him are a real challenge in that he challenges my thinking. And some of his ideas are kind of off the wall. But from my perspective, I think that's fine. I remember that when I was uh, 50, turned 50, there was a, another friend in a church where we went who was the same age within a month. And when we turned 50, he had it in his head that now he had reached being a senior citizen. And he physically changed and he mentally changed and started acting old, whatever that, however you define that. Hmm. I just don't get it. You know, Jeff and I have sat down, we've had all kinds of talks uh, at other times. And I just don't feel like there's an age difference, mm -hmm. you know. Definitely, I don't. I don't look at you, somebody who's 35 years younger than I am, or or my friend who's 40 years younger than I am. It's Jeff, and Jeff thinks this way, and I think this way, and we take ideas and we roll them around and pull them apart and put them back together again. And I just think that peop, if people did that more, we would have fewer problems than we do. I see younger people tending to ignore older people. And because older people, it takes them longer to think, they think a little more slowly, but they have a wealth of experience. And if you can tease that out of them, sometimes you can get some real insight into how things were done in a certain situation sometime in the past. And those kinds of things can be applied now. And so you don't have to keep relearning and repeating history over and over. For instance, uh, just to illustrate that. I went to church for like over a year with people in my congregation before I was working here just as a member and sat next to people who were 70, 80 years old. And like I didn't really know their story and it was easy to ignore or not really interact with them. Come come to like discover they were put in political prisons and had protested in the streets in a different country and like worked against these regimes and worked for justice in ways that like put to shame the efforts of of justice that we had been pursuing in our church in some ways. And to just tap into that resource and those stories and to be able to connect them enlivened my entire experience. And so I think that in in that situation, you're exactly right. It's easy to just disregard people based on age or difference when it comes to age. And the fact that it's weird to have a friend that's 40 years younger is sad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, That's sad. Yes, it is. And I think just as people tend to ignore older people, people in my age group sometimes tend to ignore younger people for that same reason. Well, they've got different ideas, you know, and change is always difficult to do. As a society, we, we ought to have that mindset. Things always change. I mean, if we look at our school pictures from grade school and then look at a picture today and hold them side by side, certainly we have all changed. We're fatter and we have more wrinkles and our hair is gray. And more diverse also. Yes. That now that, yeah, the, the millennial generation is the most diverse generation that there's that there's been so far in our country and things have changed quite a bit. 
did people do that when you were younger? Did people talk about the the young generation in some like derogatory way, or is that just a new invention? Oh no no no! I can remember when I was in my grade school. I went to um, a fundamentalist Christian church, and I can remember that when rock and roll came on the scene, the country was going to hell in a handbasket, and <laughs> you know the second coming was coming any time, and all those things that you hear today about how everything's going to hell in a handbasket. It's the same things that were made 60 years ago, but it still hasn't happened. Uh, it's just a crutch because change is coming. In a large measure, we don't like change. And so, because it makes us uncomfortable, and so we attack it. My mother is 98, and when things come along that change her little world, it really can upset her uh, just because it puts her quickly outside her comfort zone which is too bad. And that's one of the reasons I think that that I try to have among my circle of friends and acquaintances are people that are 20, 30, 40 years younger than I am because they are the future and they are someday going to be uh, shepherding us through, through uh, life as a country. And I think it's just better for people to know what's coming rather than to wake up one morning and wonder what the hell's going on. Well, that, that touches on one thing that that also I read in preparing for this, and I think this came from PBS or the Idea Channel. It, something about the fact that people have marketed – you said the future, right? These these people are the future of, of our society. And there has been a sense that marketing has always used the younger generation as seeing like what's relevant or what's exciting or um, what's cutting edge. And so they've kind of enshrined the younger generation in marketing to them. And made them really told a story back to ourselves about like this is what this is what it means to be a mover and a shaker is to be young to look like this to do that and so being told that all the time it's it's not surprising for some people that millennials don't want to move out of that don't want to settle down and have and look like their parents you know what I mean get into a house have a family do this and that because they're they're trying to stay relevant and they are told by our society that the younger that this version of you is the most relevant you'll ever be, you know? And then it's almost like there's this uh, falling off the cliff kind of thing. Like the older you get, the less relevant you are because of the messages that we're being told. And, and that's the lie of it. Because as you get older, you have more life experience. And uh, you may move a little more slowly and you may think a little more slowly. But you can also be more clever and devious and sly and get things <laughs> and get things done behind the scenes without a lot of hoopla. And so people in my generation, uh, in some instances, can be just as effective as movers and shakers, but maybe more behind the scenes. Yeah, it, it all goes back to that that give and take, is that each generation, each person, has something to give to the greater picture. And if we mm -hmm. learn how to fit those pieces together, as opposed to prioritize the pieces, then we tend to get a lot more done. I, I wonder, something you mentioned, Alan, earlier, I don't remember exactly what but for some reason it made me think of like the idea of war and how war has had such an influence on how we define certain generation you know we have the, mm. the greatest generation and jim I, I know you were in the service mm -hmm. for the korean war right no no vietnam, no, vietnam. sorry <laughs> um and even the vietnam war how that shaped our view of an entire generation of people and went when at, at least especially when i was growing up in the late 80s and early 90s there was the very much like 
because it was still fresh, where now today it would be more of like people that have been in the, the Iraq war or whatever. But that same kind of, these same themes kind of recycle themselves and how, how that affected how you felt people looked at you after coming home from Vietnam and what the general stereotype of that, that war generation was and how, 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 maybe that, how maybe that affected the way that you maneuvered through the world at that time. It did. But the thing about that is, uh, here again, so we categorize all the Vietnam-era veterans, and we put a stamp on the whole group. Mm -hmm. Right. But each individual is so different, and that's what just drives me nuts. We lose our individualism, and there is a group mentality, and there has to be, I think, in our country. But I think there ought to be a way that we can pull out individuals and individualism more than we do rather than just hurting everybody like lemmings towards the cliff. Because if you're not someone who's trying to market something, it's better to be curious about people and not assume that they're going to live up to some stereotype, right? That's but if right. you're trying to sell all this stuff, it makes sense to just divide everybody up all the time and label them and have like quick things. So maybe we need to let go of a market mindset in our social dealings and interactions. Good luck. <laughs> I, I, I think you're right, because when when that's done, who does the marketing benefit? It doesn't benefit the people that are being marketed to. No, it objectifies them. That's yeah. right. Yeah, turns them into other products to be sold and categorized and all that stuff, which is why I think it goes back to what we, we Alan, especially you spoke to in the beginning, is when we speak in terms of people, if we speak if we speak in the terms of the events that shape those people, then we have more room to talk about the diversity of of what right. came from those events. So if we talk about the Vietnam War as opposed to saying all the Vietnam vets, then that gives us that that gives us that nuance. That gives us that right. that that place to individualize people's experiences and know, look how big this event was. There's no way we can define any one way to come from this this tragedy or whatever. Yeah, let's talk about cell phone usage, right? That's that's a big thing, the advent of the cell phone. This is the, one of the most powerful technologies in the history of the world. But let's just talk about the generation that's obsessed with their cell phones or whatever instead of, you know, let, let's stereotype those people as being some qualitatively different than the people who have come before them who listened to radio or watched television and MTV. It's easier to talk about MTV and how that had, ha has had an impact on culture than it is to say all of Generation X was just a bunch of, you know, bedheads who are watching TV all the time. Yeah. Listening to, to music. And you mentioned the, the whole idea of the cell phone, especially with millennials, like they're not obsessed with it. It's just a part of their everyday life. Right. Whereas generations before it never was. So, and it, it's, it's a part of everyone's life. It's not just millennials who are using cell phones. Exactly. It's, it's like everyone, everyone uses them. Like you see them everywhere. I feel and like that's uh, saying like, I don't know, <laughs> the advent of the automobile, you know, like, look at all those teenagers. All they care about are their cars. <laughs> I'm still riding right. my horse. You know what I mean? It's 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 technology yeah. along with economics, along with the, the conflicts that we've had overseas. These all shape people. And Ad Adam Conover had a thing in his like half hour presentation where he talked about how bicycles, the advent of bicycles, I think it was in the 20s, they had took all these ads out in newspapers saying, oh, it's how crazy and terrible it was. And all these people, these young people riding their bicycles and getting into trouble. <laughs> so it, it, it doesn't, yeah, technology just exacerbates things because it changes the world faster. So yeah, I find it help, more helpful to talk about events and changes in technology and the economy than it is to talk about an entire generation being this or being that. Not only are those things harmful in the sense that 
I think they're ageist. Jim pointed out that his friend bought into something, right? Once you hit 50, you buy into the idea that you're old and you know you mentally and physically move that way. If you have a story being told about who you are and you buy into it, in some ways you become that. So if we're constantly being told we're selfish and lazy, you can't be super surprised when people ended up becoming selfish and lazy. You know what I mean? That's, that's exactly right. The, the thing that really uh, – that I wonder though, Jeff, how do you respond when people say like you belong to Generation X? Is that like a negative thing or is that just like a, yeah, I belong to Generation X? Because I relate with the stereotypes that have been placed on Gen X, I, I, I don't mind it. <laughs> it's fine. You don't mind it. Can yeah. I tell you, I don't think there is anyone I know who likes being called a millennial. Not one. I can't All, think of one. Everyone I know, if you look up if you look up millennial and people who are publishing right now who are that age, they all say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I know I'm a I'm a millennial, but right? Like that's not something that anybody wants to be associated with at all. Like it makes my skin crawl to even be called that. It's you like know, a, it's funny you mention that because you asked me like generation X because I'm on that border, I get like someone will say all the time, "What year were you born?" and I'll tell them, "Oh, you're a millennial." And I'll be like, "No." And like immediately, <laughs> like even I'm offended. I used to do that too. I used to say, no, I'm generation Y. There's a difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's become so stereotyped, it's unfortunate. It's really sad. And uh, if if being narcissistic is a quality of this generation, it's only because of age. Like people, human beings are more narcissistic when they're in, going through adolescence or when they're younger, right? And the older you get, it's supposed, it doesn't happen for everyone, but you're supposed to have this like widening world and your brain changes, like physically changes, and then you adapt to the world. So if you're going to study people who are in their, you know, early 20s, 20 years old, of course, they're going to be a little more narcissistic than they will when they're older. But it was the same thing with the youth that were listening to rock and roll, right? You guys didn't care about the... <laughs> The benefit of society, you just wanted to listen to rock and let everything go to hell. Well, and we forget about the pendulum swing of reacting to the generation before us. And if we if we think think in terms like I mentioned earlier, like my generation, Generation X, a lot of uh, one thing that defined it was the, the fact that the latchkey, like their parents were working and not in the home. And then one of the things that defines millennials is now that the Gen Xers are growing up and they're having kids, they don't want to be left. They remember what right. it was like to be left at home. So now we have helicopter parenting. Like, so it's this swing over to now we're going to overdo it. And honestly, like we say that millennials, that one of the stereotypes is that they, you know, they they're looking for a job and they they have their head in the clouds and they think that they're, you know, you know, we say selfish or whatever entitled. Well, if you have parents who are ignored by their parents and then they raise you to 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 instill in you some sense of hope and self-esteem in the world, of course, a generation before that that was so removed and independent is going to look at that and be like, oh, that's that's just selfishness, which it's not, <laughs> you know, it's I don't know it, all that stuff. And then even before that, you know, you have. The, the generation that went off to World War II and we had no knowledge of PTSD and you had these absent fathers and then you had the rise of the, you know, whatever the hippie generation or whatever was going on there. And it was a reaction to the reaction to the previous generation. And, and that pendulum swing is bound to happen and we have to leave room for that. And I don't know, I provide grace for that in the way that we approach and talk about people. What if we could um, 
somehow break this um, cycle of of categorizing millenniums and Gen Xs and so forth. Is there any way to undo that? Because I guess because of my age and where I am, I don't. I just don't think of people in categories of of age blocks. I think of Alan and I think of Jeff, and I never have thought until maybe today. <laughs> are you a millennial or a Gen Y or whatever you are? I just. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think this all came, you know, part of it started to develop while I was in the service and the rest of it, I just have been doing other things and didn't bother to pay any attention to yeah. it. Yeah. It got out of control every year. I really, basically, I just think it's stupid. You know, what's funny is I've been, I've interviewed people where we had a great interview and afterward they're like, wow, you millennials are not so bad. And I was like, what? I was, I, I, it, hit, it hit me from nowhere. I was like, I'm a millennial? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. Like, I don't go out into my day and feel like I'm a millennial and, you know, pull out my phone and take pictures of myself walking down the road and do it. Like, I'm a social creature. I'm on Facebook. I'm like, I don't, all the things that people like label other, that's not the lived experience of millennials. As a matter of fact, like all of us hate that. If I can say one thing about millennials, it's that everybody hates being labeled that way. Like all of them. You could ask any any of your millennials in your family if they appreciate that label, they'll say no. Well, I have a friend whose whose family kind of labeled him that way. You know, they said, "Well, the way you live your life and so forth, this means you're this." And he was really upset with his family. And I I told him, I said, "Just be you." And don't let right. anybody label you. Just be who you are and just let the rest of it take care of its place. And I really believe that. I mean, I've done that with myself. You know, I got an ARP card when I was 50, and I tell people after that, I didn't give a damn what people really thought. <laughs> yeah. And and I don't go around trying to offend people, but I really don't care where they want to categorize me. I'm just going to be Jim and take it or leave it. And I think if more people were able to do that, if if circumstances would let them do that, I think the world would be a happier place and get rid of the marketers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not used to being labeled. I'm a white male, right? The what, what do you call it? The straight white male, whatever, whatever. I'm not used to being labeled a millennial or, or anything ever. So it hits me as something completely different that I have to live my life in a way that it doesn't matter how other people label me. Because I never really have had to deal with that before. And I guess I'm joining people who have dealt with that for a long time. People of different ethnicities. And um, that's why I think it's like ageism to me. That's why it, it smacks of racism and sexism. Um, and so it doesn't bother me if people do it on an individual level so much. It bothers me when people who create media buy into the the crap of it all and then push that on their communities. That's what really bothers me. You mentioned that now that you mentioned that I'm thinking in terms of when we talk about these generational stereotypes and we use the examples of of what has influenced these generations, really the rhetoric surrounding around generational stereotypes in our country, at least, is very white centric anyway. Here we are, the three of us, all white males. We've had this conversation and we never really mentioned like, well, how did the civil rights influx our generation? Because honestly, right. underneath it all, when we're talking about our generation, we're talking about other white people. And that would be an interesting conversation and thing to look at is that what does this general generational stereotyping do on top of already the racism that's happening in other communities that are more marginalized or minorities? There's an implicit racism in saying that the 
the world is going to a hell in a handbasket with these new generations. Because whenever I hear that from people who are in, you know, older in my family or something, I always am quick to point out, they talk about the good old days of the fifties. And I'm like, good for you. Right. <laughs> like remember <laughs> what right. it was like That's for right. people that weren't like you. Oh my gosh. And, uh, so the fact that we're such a diverse nation now, and there's such this experience of plur- plurality that race race does have a play in all of this in the conversation. Um, irresponsible, diverse group. Like that's the one thing you can really say about millennials is that they're diverse. They're different. They have different ethnicities and makeups and, and religion than, than they ever have. And so to talk about them with one broad stroke, that does a disservice to the work of civil rights that we have been pursuing all these years. And it points to a lot of privilege. Like we can, we have, we can afford to talk about each white generation as diverse. And this generation is different from this generation, but has our rhetoric around poverty or minorities changed as much as our talk about ourselves through the different generations. And I don't think it really has all that much. No, because we have to, to get past all that privilege. We have to go uh, rub elbows and be shoulder to shoulder with people who are homeless, people who are poor, people who are have a different skin color. I had the privilege for uh, 10 years of working uh, for a woman who was African-American. She's one of my best friends. And I learned so much from her. And then a, an African-American pastor who one day told me that I was being racist. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, yes, you are. And I said, well, then tell me why. And he did. And it was the beginning of a really good friendship. And it was very illuminating to me because, yes, I was, but I thought I wasn't. And and I think I think about this. I was just thinking just now in California, I don't know if it's Southern California or the whole state, but I think that Caucasians now are the minority or or real close to it. And when that starts sinking in on white folks in the state, that's going to be really unsettling because for the first time we will be a minority and then that stigma of being a minority whatever the stigma is supposed to be settles on our shoulders how are people going to react to that it makes you wonder how they're going to react to that I that's mean, right they could elect some demagogue president like it could be horrible like we could sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that that works in age too right the the smaller your generation gets like the older it gets you become more and more of a minority in the public sphere and so it's i guess you're looking at the younger generation coming up and there's more and more of them and so there may be something at work like that too you you asked how can we get past this stuff and then you were talking about uh, your friend, the pastor who helped you like see that you were being racist or had that conversation with you and started a friendship. I would love to say as a millennial and react to every single thing somebody says on the internet and posts and talks about and say, you're being ageist and you got us all wrong. You've mislabeled us. You've done this. I would love to say that, but it, it just falls on deaf ears because that's what millennials do. What we really need are people from the silent generation and the baby boomers and Gen X to stand up for millennials to like actually attack the thread of thought that shoves all of them into a box, even if it's done out of humor. Cause like if, if something was super racist and it was done in a comedic way, you wouldn't think like, Oh, that's funny. 
oh, it's kind of true. Oh, we're going to use it for our, our ministry. No, you'd have people reacting really strongly against it. I think the same thing needs to happen for uh, generational stereotyping is that we need people like you guys from from your position in society to be able to talk to other people who are doing this, you know? We stand with you, Alan. <laughs> and sometimes it's millennials. Millennials do it to themselves, too. I, I won't, you know, I won't pretend like we're these victims. Like, we, we do it, too. We spread the, the story about ourselves that is a certain way. I think every generation has a responsibility to not as best they can, not allow themselves to be stereotyped. And this is sort of a tangent, but I was I was thinking of my mother. She's 98, and she's very frail and uses a walker, and it's difficult to get around. And if people just look at her, they're going to say, oh, there's a little old lady. And if she doesn't speak, they can stereotype her in a heartbeat. And yet here's a woman who, when I came over to Jeff's and I left the house, she was sitting down balancing her checkbook, paying her bills, and she's very alert and she's very intelligent, and she breaks all the stereotypes of somebody who's 98 years old. And so I, I think each generation, myself at, at 70, whatever whatever 70-year-olds are supposed to be, uh, no, almost 72, uh, whatever we're supposed to be or people perceive us to be, I think that I have a responsibility to make sure I don't fit whatever that stereotype is. I owe it, I think, to all of society, and I think that I owe it to myself so that I don't become just a cipher who is just a boring person who does the same thing day in and day out. In the movie Mame, uh, Rosalind Russell says, live, live, life's a banquet, and most poor suckers are starving to death. And I think there's a wealth of truth in that. There are a lot of poor suckers that are starving to death because they say either I can't because they can't reach the big time or I'm 60 years old, so I have to live this way. And I think that's a lot of bull. Even if it's just in your own neighborhood or in your own little group that has coffee, you can be an alive person no matter how old you are. Well said. Thank you. Uh, so we can resist those labels. I like that. I'm inspired. Yes. I'm resist almost looking forward to 40 and 50. <laughs> <laughs> just get an ARP card and don't give a damn and just plug it in. It works. I got the not I give saw. a damn part. So I'm, I'm <laughs> almost been, there. <laughs> I've been doing it for 22 years. It's fun. You know what's funny? I, I found like this problem is really old. The it's not It's not a new thing. I just remembered that I bought an autograph sketchbook from the 1800s at like an antique fair where this little girl had uh, people at her dad's business would come sign this little book for her and she took it wherever she went. And one of the people signed it, they put like, you know, enjoy your life or something with God, the fearsome 40s, the fabulous 50s, the spiritual 60s or something like that, like went down and said, as you get older, these are the decades of your life and this is what you'll be like. But it's refreshing to me to be reminded that like there are fierce 80-year-olds, like feet more fierce than I am. And I have some of them in my congregation. Like, Absolutely. Like they came to ch- – even physically, like I, there was <laughs> – so one of my congregations, like 81, and he came to Bible study and he had this like big old bandage on his arm. Everyone's like, oh, are you okay? He's like, oh, yeah, I fell on my bike. And we're like, what? <laughs> you fell on your bike? He's like, oh, yeah. I you know, fell and it was really embarrassing because everyone was asking if, if, if I was okay. But like the, the mental acuity and – like the physical ability, it does not, it's, it's obviously there are things that are more difficult with age, but it, it is not a limitation unless we allow it to be. And I think it's the same thing for like a millennial generation is that insisting that you 
would like to have a job that's not minimum wage is not entitlement. Like after getting educated and having a huge student loan debt that you're going to have to pay back and like trying to get a job, having um, an unpaid internship for a year, which I have seen people do, people I love, many, many of them, working really hard to get a job that's going to pay off that student loan. That's not entitlement. That's hard work. Living with your parents until you can afford to do that is a responsibility. You know, that's not laziness. And so I think that and depending those. upon your parents, living with your parents is hard work. It's for everybody it is. Yeah, seriously. For most people it is. You know, and you point to something there. Uh, as you were speaking, I was thinking about when I got out of high school, uh, before I went in the Navy, the minimum wage was a buck and a quarter. I went to work for Safeway stores, and I was working uh, – about three times minimum wage, three three twenty five an hour was base pay, but that was because it was a union shop, and uh, so out of high school I'm earning, you know, three times minimum wage. That would be today what twenty one dollars an hour. Who gets out of high school today and goes to a grocery store and starts at twenty one dollars an hour? It doesn't happen. But society still wants to apply that same kind of thought process to uh, people getting out of school today. You know, I well, I went out and got a job that was three times minimum wage. Why aren't you going out and getting a job that's three times minimum wage? And the jobs just don't exist. That's not your fault. That's somebody else's fault who has created the the economic climate that has allowed that to happen. But because they can't fix it, it's your fault. Yeah, I, I, we have to be so careful, though, because I, I know for me and a lot of millennials like me, when you start peering into the way society has done that and like it, there is a responsibility on the generation that has come before us for creating the economics that exist right now. The, 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 the move toward bitterness is so strong. I mean, like you have to be very careful not to just end up being bitter. There's yes. this, uh, oh, I forgot. There's this meme about what was the guy's name? Anyway, it's someone from my dad's generation, right? And saying, oh, kids these days, when I was your age, I got out of high school, bought a car and a house and could support my whole family on one income, <laughs> you know? And like, we're like looking at these, uh, creating these memes and kind of pushing back on the the definition of what we have to deal with, because you're completely right. If you look at the economics of it, it's harder right now than it was even a couple generations ago, even a couple decades ago to get things like a house and a car and all that stuff with making even minimum wage. So things have changed quite a bit in that. I don't want to be bitter because that just feels the whole generation gap blaming people. You know what I mean? Just like, I don't want people to blame millennials for all our problems. We can't turn around and look at those who came before us and be like, you're all of you, every single one of you who are a certain age are responsible for the economic crisis. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's not helpful in my mind. I think we have to uh, look and see what the problems are do our best not to fix blame, but just fix what the problems are. I'm certainly concerned about Social Security and Medicare because I depend on those. And so the latest crop of politicians talk about how they're going to change them, how they'll eliminate them, how they'll do this, how they'll do that. But nobody talks about the, I think it's about $3 trillion that Congress pulled out of the Medicare or the Social Security Trust Fund to use for other things instead of keeping it for Social Security. And so the reason that Social Security is in a fix is because Congress basically uh, stole the money to use for something right. else because they couldn't make ends meet. And I'm Social Security is paid by people 
like in in your age and even younger who have paid over their lifetime into it, right? That's right. So it's like that's right. Yeah. Not an entitlement at no, all. It's not. No, it's not. No. All right. Well, I think that that is uh, as good of a place to any to kind of give our final thoughts on this particular issue of. I'm just getting started, Jeff. I know you are. Alan. <laughs> I have a feeling that if if we all took a test, like if there was a stereotype test that judged like which generation you fit in, I feel like I would pass the test with my generation Gen X, and I feel like Jim and Alan would switch, and that Alan would test as a baby boomer. <laughs> Jim would test as a millennial. That's probably... <laughs> there, there is one other thing that I want to put in there as somebody from my generation that that I just don't feel like I'm being shuffled off. I just won't allow that to happen until I'm physically unable to fight back. But the thing that I enjoy about being retired is... I can be a little looser about what I say and I don't have to worry about being fired or anything. And it's very freeing. And it really, it really is. I mean, some of the things I post on Facebook about the United Methodist Church, church it's very clear. Uh, I can say what I want because I have an ARP card and I don't give it a damn, you know? <laughs> Which but you wouldn't have said 20 years ago, right? That's exactly right. I would have kept my mouth shut because the United Methodist Church was my employer. That's why we need you to speak up for us. That's why we need you to, to slay the stereotypes. But I think if everybody <laughs> spoke up, we, we'd be a little better than we are. And I appreciate being here today, too. Yeah, thank you. Alan, any final thoughts? Not necessarily. I think I've already stood up on my soapbox enough. Just go look <laughs> up the Adam Conover 30-minute uh, presentation on Adam ruins millennials. Look up the PBS Idea Channel, Why Do Millennials Ruin Everything? When you look up in Google... Like why do millennials and why do why does Gen X why do baby boomers? It's really hilarious to see what people are actually researching. And hmm. one of the things that comes out is why do millennials ruin everything? And that's a pretty cool segment. I I'm actually just really excited at this moment for what's coming up after the music. So I'm not even like even focused because we have three people who have been in ministry and it, we're going to do the Jesus Juke segment, which I love. So I'm just super excited. All right. Well, with that, uh, all the things that Alan mentioned and everything we mentioned in the conversation, there will be links to that in the show notes at irenacast.com slash 96. We're coming up on 100. And uh, for a complete list of all the other ways to contact the show, you can check it out at irenacast.com slash 96. And on the other side of the music, three preaching pastors playing a game <laughs> of Jesus Juke. <laughs> Right. So this is exactly what Alan and I, hopefully all of us, are excited about this game. Uh, Jesus Juke, if you are a new listener or you haven't heard this game in a while, basically what we do is each of us have come up with some item to turn into a sermon illustration. Uh, we've had some interesting ones in the past, uh, but as as all people who have been in preaching ministry or are currently in preaching ministry, <laughs> you always have to come up with clever illustrations to draw people into the text and... Uh, and so, Jim, are you, are you ready for I'm, this? I'm, I'm, I'm ready. The Jesus juke. The Jesus juke comes from John Acuff. And uh, it's the whole idea that, you know, you see somebody on the basketball court and they're like, hey, nice shoes. That reminds me of Jesus. <laughs> you start talking about Jesus. <laughs> and I tried to explain it to Jim off air, but he says that he had he, he, under, he understands how the game is played and uh, has had an experience like that before in the past. But I cut him off and said, I want to hear this on air so I can react appropriately. Well, this was about being, it sort of applies, I guess. But in the 60s, there was a motivational speaker, uh, 
named Kenneth McFarland, and he talked about how speakers of any kind, including preachers, have to be flexible, and he used a preacher as an example. For a sermon topic every week, he had a box. People could write a, a sermon topic on a piece of paper and put it in. And um, so one Sunday, he reached in the box, and there was only one piece of paper in, and he pulled it out, and he looked at it, and there was one word on it, and it was constipation. So he put it in the sleeve of his robe, and he went up, and when he got up to the sermon time, and, and he stood up at the pulpit, and he opened the Bible to an appropriate scripture, and he began by saying, and Moses took the tablets and went up to the mountain alone. <laughs> so the point was being flexible, which sounds like it goes with Jesus' juke. You know what's beautiful about that story is that Alan mentioned, Jim was about to tell this off air, but Alan wanted a genuine reaction to it. And as you know, if you're a regular listener to the show, <laughs> Alan is not a fan of poop humor. So the fact that that was the reveal <laughs> makes me right. very I'm, happy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I that is hilarious. And uh, you definitely get a pass Thank for you. sure on the poop humor. Yeah, I like it. It's All right. Good. So, Jim, why don't you give us your item and then Alan and I will duke it out. And then you, as the person who gave the item for us to give our illustrations, you get to choose Whose was better? Who? Which? Which of our illustrations would bring you to the altar? <laughs> oh, you didn't tell me that part. No. Oh, that. And means for I... those who are listening, we're we're not mocking preaching because we're preachers. All of us have and believe in the power of preaching and have done it. So this is just going to be super fun, and we're allowed to do this because we are pastors, right? right. Well, you didn't tell me I was going to have to think. But anyway, okay. <laughs> here's my here's my postage stamp. Postage stamp. Postage stamp. Alan, go mm. first. <laughs> Hmm. Millennials first. <laughs> <laughs> Just be careful what you attach yourself to, because if you allow the world to really influence you, uh, you're like a postage stamp. And if you allow the world to be so intimate as to like be a part of your life, when you lick that postage stamp and you put it on the envelope of the world, getting it off is so difficult. And all these things come with you. And just because you become a Christian, all the world is still left on you and you have to work really hard to like scrape it off. And you're not as sticky anymore and you can't stick to the things that matter. And you just have to be really careful what you allow into your life. All right. That's good. Each of us has been given a calling, a message from the divine to deliver to humanity. And some of us are trying to skip the necessary steps towards maturity <laughs> before that message can be fully revealed in the lives of others. Some of us are taking our message straight to the post office and we've forgotten to get the stamp of approval of the Holy Spirit to let that message go to more places than it Ooh. could without it. All right, Jim, you have to vote between Jeff and I to see which one had a better sermon. Well, not only because he gave me a great cup of coffee and cream, but I think <laughs> I think Jeff had the edge. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm definitely with Jeff on that one. I'm already taking my message to the post office in the sky and having the Holy Spirit stand. <laughs> I bribe my guests with delicious coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All right, Alan, you, you ready? All right, mine will be an indestructible Nalgene water bottle. You guys know what a Nalgene water bottle is? It's like the hard plastic. It's like indestructible. It was like blue. Oh, like the ones they sell at like bottles. hiking stores and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. like an indestructible plastic water bottle. Jim, would you like to go first or do you want oh, to? Oh, sure. Why not? Okay. <laughs> well, what, what comes to mind quickly is that um, our life, our lives, 
all that we are is the is the contents, the bottle, and the hard outer shell is the uh, Holy Spirit that does a pretty good job of protecting us from all the bumps and pokes and abrasions that can come and keeps us safe while we're in there. And that's kind of simplistic, but that's what pops into my head at first. <laughs> and don't ask for any more than that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, that's good. All right. I'm going to go the opposite direction. As we move through life, we have a tendency to allow circumstances to harden the wall of our heart. That prevents anything of value from coming in. The Bible tells us that it is it is cracked pottery that God shines through. And sometimes we've taken our heart and we've placed it in an indestructible water bottle and we're not letting anything in, let alone letting anything out for the world to be blessed by our presence in it. Amen. So, <laughs> so, so you're not saying we are the bottle. You're not saying God's the bottle. You're just saying we put our heart in a water bottle is what you're saying. I'm saying that <laughs> our actions create a hard water bottle around our there heart. There you go. I like it. I like it. That's good. Um, I will, I'll, I'll always go with God being the hard water bottle, I think, for me. So I'm going to give it to, to Jim. But I do like both of them. Yeah, God is and our I think fortress. I'm going to think about those sermons when I drink water from now on. <laughs> you have to ask yourself: Am I open, or am I? Am I? Yeah. Am I? Is the Holy Spirit protecting me, or am I allowing my bitterness to be a shield around my heart? <laughs> That's right? right. That's right. That's good. Okay, my item is sour candy. Who wants to go first? I do. Here we go. Um, sour candy. The Holy Spirit is like a sour candy and the fact that when you put a sour candy in your mouth, sometimes it like initially clenches your jaw and you can't open up your mouth and you can't even really speak because it's so sour. I think sometimes the Holy spirit operates in our lives just at the right moment, right when we're about to say something we shouldn't and just clenches our jaw (laughs) and we have to allow that moment to happen and keep our mouth shut so that we don't say sour words that come out of our mouths. <laughs> I got nothing. I'll vote for Alan. On that one. <laughs> uh, nothing. No, really nothing. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I'm in religious awe right now. <laughs> oh yes. Yes. <laughs> you have When's quenched his sour words. Alan. <laughs> <laughs> the question, Jim is, do you allow the Holy spirit to, to close your mouth? And clench your jaw. That's the question. Not as not as often as I should. <laughs> well, thank you so much again, Jim, for joining us this yeah, week. It has been you. a pleasure. Uh, we'd love to have you back sometimes. Maybe we can bring Mona in and come up with a good subject that we can all throw around. And uh, yeah, so thank you yeah. so much for joining us. And uh, I too was thinking that this shouldn't be the last time if you're willing to come back on because we really do enjoy having having you on the show. Well, thank you. And and I'd be glad to come back. I wasn't sure what to expect, but this has been fun time. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, um, that'll do it for us this week. If you enjoy what you hear and you want to support Irenacast, you can go to irenacast.com slash support, and there'll be a list of ways in which to do that. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Alan. I'm Jim. Thanks for joining the conversation.
resist the labels. <laughs> <laughs>